Hi, it's Dave. Welcome. Today, um, I am doing an episode on um, Tesla's fleet advantage. So I'm in the middle of a multi-part, like kind of marathon session with James Dalma here going through um, Andre Karpathy's recent talk on full self-driving progress. But um, this is episode number four. I'm taking a little bit of a detour. And I want to kind of chat with James here about um, the fleet. And we just finished a whole episode on Tesla's kind of data collection process, how they've collected in their most recent kind of run a million you know, 10 second video clips, eight camera views, plus other info labeled them with 6 billion, there's 6 billion different, you know, object labels there, including depth and velocity. Um, but I, I guess my, my big question is, um, it seems like Tesla's really prioritizing like, hey, this data set is not just large, but it has to be diverse. You know, it has to be a wide range of different scenarios, a lot of edge cases to bring value. Um, and thinking about that more, I'm like, you know, this stuff is, like so dependent on the size of the fleet, right? Um, plus, this the each car in the fleet needs to be equipped with the right hardware and you know software to run the neural nets in shadow mode to get the right type of data. So it's not just any car, right? You can't just you know put on a video recording on or video recorder on any car to get data. You need to put on like actually the full self driving computer in each car running you know, the neural nets um, to process the triggers, which data video clips to capture and to send them back to, to the mothership, et cetera. But it seems like this is extremely, um, this is a very daunting and ambitious project, especially like if you're an OEM and you don't have any, you know, uh, cars on the road that is equipped to collect this data, you know, with full self-driving computers, you know, all this stuff, like, how do you even get started? It's like, um, it seems like a daunting challenge. And it just seems like in some ways, Tesla is, um, I want to say light years, but there, it just doesn't seem like there's, there's much of a, you know, competition in terms of the, the, what are the prospects the that Ford is going yeah. to like put $3,000 of hardware into every car and pay for it out of their own pocket? Yeah. Right? I, I mean, and the other idea is like, it's a big, it seems like it's a big difference if you have a million car fleet versus a hundred thousand. Well, you have to start somewhere. Fleet, right? I, I, like, the, the only reasonable way. Yeah. yeah. You can't do it with a thousand cars. Mm -hmm. You just can't. Right. It, it's, it's big numbers. It's numbers that are big enough that, that if your approach is you're going to own the whole fleet yourself it's very problematic right I, I mean if because you might have to run this fleet i mean tesla's been running this fleet for years right and they haven't had millions of cars but they've had hundreds of thousands of cars for years now so you know if if you had to buy and operate a hundred thousand cars for years <laughs> right mm -hmm. that's that economically that's that's really hard place to get to with a business model that is different from what I, maybe there are business models, right? I mean, it, it's hard for me to, to imagine a business model that's different from the way Tesla did, which is basically sell, com, sell consumers a product that they want anyway, mm -hmm. and put this on there and tell them it's given them something and, and actually give them something for it, provide mm -hmm. some kind of value as a rationalization for them to like have it and use it. Uh, and a side benefit for you as a, as a, as a corporation is the ability to gather in lar large amounts of very, very specific data that you, that you need for training it. Uh, maybe there's a different business model. It's hard to, 
I've had a hard time imagining. Like I've always thought that like if, if somebody was going to try to close the gap with with Tesla on the yeah. approach that Tesla is using, that um, you know it's going to be an auto OEM that is making cars anyway, right? And they're yeah. and they'll they'll do what Tesla did, which is we'll put a lot of hardware on the cars, we'll try to find a way to pay for it, and then we'll run that fleet for years until we gather enough data to get our network working the way that we want it to. Of course the bar for succeeding comes down and down and down. You know, I mean, the more computers you have and the more powerful the computers in the car are and the better the neural networking techniques you have to work with are, the fewer cars you need and the less data you need. I mean, that that number is going to decline over time as technique well, improves. Well, okay, on that point, though, um, I would, like, make a counterpoint. Maybe just, like... Um, if you take a different approach, well, full, let's say you evaluate full self-driving not on just kind of comparing it to human driving, but if you evaluate full self-driving compared to the leader in the full self-driving field, um, meaning um, because a lot of times it's like I think people compare, okay, what's the what's the bar? You know, if it's just human driving, then then I would say yeah, it gets easier and easier with more compute power, with you know. Uh, more advances with neural nets and all this other stuff. But if the bar is actually not human driving, but if the bar is like the leader in the field who's the safest, then it seems like it's it's always a moving target where um, where maybe it's not going to get easier for people. You know, it'll be easier to get to that 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 minimum bar of just safer than a human. But over time, I wonder if that really means anything. If the if the leader is a hundred times or a thousand times or 10,000 times safer than a human, you could pass the human bar, but it's like, it's not usable. You just, you know, you just can't drive it because it's just not safe. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, there are various sort of uh, flywheel effects or network effects and, and that, that come to play here. And the, uh, not being able, like if if a criteria for being able to do it at all is that you have to get close to the leader or at least be in the same, and you start way behind, well, yeah, that's a that's a pretty difficult. But there are so many network effects yeah. at, at work it's here. Yeah. You know, get, I mean, getting to scale, it. You know, if you have the best, if you have if you have the car everybody wants to buy, right? Or if you, you know, yeah. then that continues to increase the size of your fleet and increase your power and ability to get better faster and faster and faster. I mean, it, it doesn't seem like not only does that gap, I mean, the gap only continues to grow, right? It, yeah. it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it, there's, there isn't a scenario under which anybody can close that gap. They can get out there and they can make progress, but you have to be moving faster than your than your competitor if you're going to close the gap to them. Uh -huh, yeah. And all of the forces right now seem to suggest that uh, that that you know that Tesla's kind of there at escape velocity, right? Yeah. Like you can start now and you can get better, but you can't. Not only can you not catch up to them, you cannot close the gap, right? The gap will always be growing. Yeah, I mean, so this. A few days ago, I was talking to, chatting with a friend um, who's like a long term, long time software developer, et cetera. And then we we're talking about Tesla, and he was kind of pointing out this 
importance of Tesla owning the full stack, like all the way from vehicles to har hardware to the chips to, you know, the data data collection, the data itself, the neural nets, the training computer, everything, right? The whole experience. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, you know, I wonder like how difficult it is to do what Tesla's doing, like put this $3,000 piece of, you know, software or hardware, right, into the car and incrementally like, you know, add value, but use all that data to, you know, add more value and in the, because you need the whole stack, some access to the whole stack to, to add that type of value incrementally over time to uh, toward autonomous driving. I'm thinking like by Tesla owning everything, it was a, it was a simple Elon Musk decision, you know? We're doing it, you know, yes. And all the cars get the hardware, the $3,000, no matter if the margins like tank for each car, it doesn't matter, you know, like they know exactly where they're headed. And it just is a simple unified process, right? Because they own the whole stack. But if you are a company where you're reliant on any third parties in that, in that whole stack of technology, where you don't own the whole process, it just seems like it would add such an immense amount of complexity to the decision-making process where it's not straightforward. Well, so there's the know, mobile example that mm -hmm. you can talk about. You know, yeah. uh, I mean, we don't, in the what happened behind the scenes between Mobileye and Tesla is not completely understood. Um, but it seems that one of the uh, breaking points between the two was when Mobileye insisted on having access to all this stuff that Tesla was doing, right, with, with their own system. Uh, and my understanding is Mobileye's relationship with OEMs that they sell systems to is that Mobileye, part of the contract is Mobileye gets data from all those systems. Like any data that OEM gets, Mobileye takes that, mm -hmm. right? That, so if you're an OEM, so Tesla, at some point, they were like, we don't need your chip. We'll make our own, right? Like, we're not going to agree to those terms. We're not going to buy your your uh, your chip. We're going to develop our own. Like, I don't know for sure that that's what happens, but mm -hmm. that's one story I've heard about about what was going on. So Mobileye cranked up the requirements in terms of data sharing and, and whatnot. And Tesla said no, right? And that, that you know, they were going to go their own way. If you're Ford and you're buying a system from Mobileye and they're going to get all the data, right? then you're pretty much signing up for, you know, Mobileye is always going to own the stack on this kind of stuff. And you're not going to get a cut of that. And that, you know, Mobileye is not paying the $3,000 to put the electronics in each one of the car. You are, mm -hmm. but they're getting the benefit. And that seems like a really big problem. Like you were talking about multiple organizations. Well, here you've got a situation where the costs and the benefits are in two different organizations. You know, the OEM is bearing the cost and Mobileye is getting the benefit, right? Who's going to sign up for that? Well, nobody is going to sign up exactly. for that, right? And so Mobileye doesn't get what they want and Ford doesn't get what they want, right? Because they because the the distribution of costs and benefits isn't. And if they're if you're all in the same organization, right? If you know Tesla is doing both ends of that kind of stuff, then the decision is much easier. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's a hard decision anyway. I, yeah. Like, yeah. When I learned that that they were that they were going to put FSD computers and seven cameras in all these cars, I was like, that was like one of the most gutsy sort of business engineering right. decisions I like I think I've ever seen. Right? right? Like we're going to front that exactly because who this is in 2016, right? Obviously, yeah. it's been a long road, and obviously, you know, they had hopes that they were going to get there quicker. Well, you yeah. know, yeah, it but, seems like yeah. 
it's a huge amount of money to yeah. invest for a hugely long period of time, yeah. right? Yeah. To get to this capability and it might not work, you know, it's exactly. the, the farther yeah. back. I mean, they made the decision in 2014, right? Or 2015, mm. you know, they didn't act. I mean, they, they, they were rolling the cards out in 2016. So, you know, they made the decision in 2014. ImageNet was at the end of 2012, it was 2013, right? So, so Elon, sometime in, in 2014 is looking at the ImageNet results from like 18 months ago and saying, yeah, I think that's going to rule the world. I think we're going to bet the company on that. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, that's so like, thing. that's amazing. Yeah. I know it's amazing because, you know, if you stick, let's say $3,000 worth of hardware into a car and majority of people don't even buy the option, that's a huge margin cut. That's like, think about it. I mean, if you're running razor thin margins and the life and death of your company is at stake, you know, and. Yeah, no, I mean, ice companies, like, they like in a sense in their normal course of business, they can't do it. Yeah. Um, uh, they have to get additional funding outside and that, that funding would have to come in with the expectation that they were going to be able to significantly expand their margins or their, market share or something like that in order to, in order to compensate, or you could have, you know, the German government decide VW is not going to lose this play, right? <laughs> and the government steps in or, you know, China picks a national champion or something yeah. like that seems like a feasible way that, that, that these things could, that Tesla could get real competition. Right. And, 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 and yeah. those kind of, but in the normal kind of commercial course of operations where, you know, ice car co companies, they're already burdened with, you know, the need to convert to electrics and that, yeah. you know, this giant boat anchor of an ice business that they have to somehow unwind and all of the relationships and encumbrances that are, are entailed therein. Right. Yeah. It's Definitely. Yeah, hard, um, hard. I mean, it seems like if you're Waymo or, you know, some type of company that's that you can own all your cars and the whole stack, then it's easier to make that decision to have all your cars equipped with certain, you know, hardware, but the yeah, problem sure. if Waymo decides to start making cars. Yeah. Would... <laughs> and that's the thing. The problem with Waymo is they're limited to just like, you know, these really right. expensive cars that, that they're not a consumer car company. And it seems like there's this, you know, hesitance on like entering the consumer car market, like from folks like, let's say Google or Waymo or Apple or others, because it's super complex. And, yeah. To this point, there hasn't been very much margin in the car business. It's just not a very attractive business. It's just lots of headache. Who wants to you're, spend? You're you're gonna die. Right? Yeah, if exactly. You do it at this point, because there was an opportunity and Tesla took it. Exactly, and there's no yeah. other behind a Tesla opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Right. But they're they're gonna be. They're just gonna win that space. That yeah, because at this point, like you go into this market of extreme complexity, setting a factory, like complex supply chain. Yeah. And you have all this liability for each car you make. And you for don't endless have Elon liability. Musk to like, yeah. you know, and, do it for you. Right? Yeah, exactly. And then, yeah. and then you I think this is what makes Apple such a compellingly interesting candidate for mm -hmm. this space. Right. Because uh, they've got they ha they definitely have a mix of like you like you could imagine Apple deciding to get into the car business, right? I'm not saying they will, or mm -hmm. it's likely, but you could imagine it. It's not completely unreasonable. I mean, mm -hmm. they've gone into really big, complicated, expensive businesses that took many, many years of investment, right? They've got a powerful brand. They've got, you know, they, you know, <laughs> they God's own bank account, you know, they've, <laughs> they, you know, they've got the resources. Like if they really decided it was something that they wanted uh -huh. to do, you know, they, 
and they were going to stick with it, like they could become number two, right? They could have a shot at that. Mm -hmm. But it's really hard to to see the 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 path when when you toss FSD and or just like we were talking earlier about you know having these you know incredibly smart cars that just make sure you're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. You get in the car, you go to the store, and you don't have you know. Uh, you don't have to worry about making a stupid mistake where somebody gets hurt or whatever, you know, because the car is just going to protect you from that kind of stuff. Like if that becomes a thing that we have in the world, that's not a thing that anybody else gets easily Yeah. without cutting a license deal with Tesla. <laughs> and, and maybe that's <laughs> yeah. what happens. Yeah, yeah. Tesla, Tesla could end up like, I, I, mean, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised given the uh, like pro consumer attitudes that, that at least the company has a spouse in which generally it seems like they've demonstrated fealty to that they would, you know, that they would license it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree. It seems like the bar is, is so high now that Tesla's in the game, like in 2016, 17, like maybe there was a more open field, but now it's like, uh, Apple or Google tries to buy or make a car company. It's like, you have to be better than Tesla, you know, or else no one's going to buy your, your product. You know, it's, it's ruthless out there. And, um, you just don't have that, you know, that same opportunity as there was maybe five Apple years does ago. does have an ecosystem that they could package. Right. And other OEMs have loyal customer bases, right. For various reasons that are advantages to them. I mean, it's not like nobody else has cards that they can mm -hmm. play. Uh, but the whole, the entire mix seems yeah. hard, hard to compete with. Yeah. Right it seems now. like, um, China, you know, is, I wouldn't say an exception, but you have different car companies like, you know, Xpeng and Neo that are supported 150 by, apparently. <laughs> yeah. 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 But are supported by different parts or, you know, entities of the government. And, um, it seems like, you know, they might have more of the the guts and the vision to say, Hey, we're going to, you know, add something like a full self-driving computer to every car, collect the data um, and mm -hmm. do, you know, what Tesla has done. Um, it's just that right now, it seems like the Chinese companies all are, they, they're all uh, espousing LIDAR as part of the solution. So that kind of gives me some hesitancy on, um, I mean, maybe they'll pivot, but I don't know. It just seems like it's an immensely more difficult challenge if you're trying to, you know, include LIDAR into the solution. You're kind of like dependent on that. And well, if you're including LIDAR and you're not doing what, you know, Waymo is doing with because mm -hmm. it, it, it's important to understand that Waymo, what Waymo uses LIDAR for is not, uh, it's not the same as just putting LIDAR on your consumer car because it's a better radar, mm -hmm. right? That, that, those are two very different use cases. The Waymo uses uh, ray, uh, LIDAR and high-def maps because their approach to self-driving is qualitatively different than what Tesla is doing. So like, you know, if Didi tries to do what, uh, what Tesla is doing, and they think that putting lidars on the car is going to make it easier for them to do that. They may have a very rude awakening. Sure, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like Waymo's approach is so limited, though, in its application. You know, um, mm. 
versus like if you're a consumer the cruise approach, right? Like cruise mm-hmm. is kind of a hybrid where they say, well, we're not going to work everywhere. We're going to work someplace. Yeah. We're going to do high def maps for those. I mean, that's but, like uh, they, who, cruise isn't using lighter for localization though. Right? Yeah. And it's also, I mean, how useful is it when, you know, most places you go, it's hard to really, you know, turn on the feature. I, it has a use case. Yeah. I think, I, I think in a world where, you know, you can, you can buy a Tesla instead and you can get all those use cases. Yeah. And other ones, and you know, there will be people who will buy it. And and it, ha- you know, I thought for a long time when when autopilot finally got to a point where it could do my highway driving and I could mostly relax, even though I had to keep an eye on it. I felt kind of at that point that I was probably getting already getting ninety percent of all the utility I was going to get from because you know it would be great if it could drive me to the grocery store and stuff, but I don't have kids and mm-hmm. you know and I can take Uber to the airport. Like a lot of the robo taxi advantages above what I have with highway autopilot right now, they're nice and I'm definitely going to look forward to getting them. I'm certainly going to pony up for it, but. In terms of my own personal quality of life, just having the car make my highway drive relaxing is such a huge chunk of the total value proposition. And maybe you get that with cruise. You know, maybe if GM can do that on most of the, you know, interstate freeways and major highways, they might cover most of the benefit for most of the people and and have a compelling product, even if it's not autopilot. Okay, so I want to have some different, I'll do a different angle on that idea Mm -hmm. is... I would say, you know, yeah, you're getting this relaxation slash you're not as intensive on the road, but you still have to supervise it, right? Whether it's cruise mm-hmm. or autopilot, whatever. And mm-hmm. I, I get that that's great. People love it. But I think there's a whole nother step up, which is unsupervised. Like you can actually fall asleep in a car mm-hmm. or just like yep. completely do a, write emails or play a game, et cetera. That to me seems like a whole nother level of utility and value that let's say autonomous driving can bring. And once you get to that level, I think, the big factor will be on the the ultimate safety um, stats, like how safe. And it just seems like the the leader of safety with autonomous driving in that field, if it's truly you have a big lead in safety, um, it's a noticeable big lead. It just seems like that's like a no brainer. Like every other thing, it would just be like, I wouldn't feel safe. I wouldn't feel safe in an an autonomous driving vehicle that I, I'm falling asleep with. If there's you know another how many ride brand, motorcycles. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true. But if is there another brand that's significantly safer? Like, I mean, sure, there might yeah. be some people who 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 opt to choose a less safe. But to me, it's you just know, as the, a no brainer. As the uh, father of two young children, I I think your idea is probably <laughs> your your perspective is is consistent with your cohort, right? But a lot of people feel differently. Yeah, I mean, I think there's diversity, but it just seems to me I don't know. I mean, that's my personal opinion. Is people. It, when it comes down to death, life and death, when mm-hmm. the car is is doing all the driving, if there is like two or three brands that are similar, that's one thing. But if there's one brand that's just significantly more safer, it just seems like that's the only brand. I'm sure there'll be marginal audiences, marginal people who choose less safe things for different reasons, like a motorcycle, for example. But overall, it just seems like the masses will choose, you know, the far more safer, you know, vehicle. I'm sure that there are going to be a lot of people who feel that way, but I, you know, if you, how many people care enough about safety that they actually go and act and figure out how many accidents cars actually get into? Like I have never met a person who actually went and to the NHTSA website to figure out like what's actually a safe car. I, when I talk to people about vehicle Safeway, most people have a bunch of, of demonstrably false beliefs about what constitutes a safe car. 
and they don't care enough about safety to disabuse themselves of these notions, which are actually getting in the way of their own safety. So I think it's rational to choose a safe vehicle, assuming that you can afford it and, you know, it fits your requirements otherwise and that kind of stuff. But my observation uh, is not is not that people overwhelmingly do that. There's definitely uh, a subset of people who prize safety very highly. And maybe they're really important. Maybe they'll dominate the market or whatnot. Yeah. But I also observe that there's a huge number of people for whom safety, it, it, it very clearly isn't. Like people buying Corvettes, you know, safety is not one of their. And the people who buy Corvettes, they love Corvettes. It's like it got incredible brand loyalty, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's there are definitely people where safety is doesn't it doesn't make the top three or four for them, sure. um, and for a lot of the people who who verbally will tell you that they really care about safety they don't care about safety enough to actually figure out what's really safe instead yeah. they you know oh my dad said this was safe I'll buy that yeah. I care about safety so I'm going to buy what my dad said was safe right I mean okay so, <laughs> so here's another angle is to that mm-hmm. point is kind of more. I think there's this illusion where people think that if they're driving it, they add that extra safety element. Like, I, I mean, this is just yeah. my hypothesis, but it feels like most people think like they're the safest driver ever. You know? It's like, they're, they're, they just think that Everybody they, thinks they're above average. Exactly. That's, yeah, that's, that's like the thing. Literally everybody. Exactly, right. And so therefore, a Corvette in like, a, in the hands of an average, whatever, young person, teenager, or whatever is unsafe. But in my hands, like it's safe, right? I don't know. It just seems like there's, some type of weird rationalization going around. <laughs> but when well, I think you t- self-awareness is not a characteristic human beings have. Right? Yeah, but I, <laughs> my, my, my hypothesis or I, I you know, I, I basically I posit that if you take the hands out of, you know, the wheels of the, of the car out of the hands of the driver and the, they can't rationalize that anymore, then yeah. maybe they might I, see it. It's going to be very objective. interesting to see how psychology mm-hmm. changes when that becomes that. Because yeah. my own my own driving style really changed a lot when I didn't have to do the deep. It's like stop and go driving. I live in LA. I've lived in LA for a long time. For 30 years, I've been dealing with like the hellacious, you know, all ever, ever worsening traffic conditions. Right. And I just hate it. Uh, I hated it more when I had a job and I had to be places on time or you were late for some important thing that you were going to. Like I never go anywhere anymore, but, uh, but now that I don't have to deal with it because you know, there are situations autopilot had had stop and go traffic nailed a long time ago. Like, mm-hmm. you know, two years ago, you could have fallen asleep in a car, in a, in autopilot and stop and go. And you would have been perfectly safe. Like it never made mistakes and stop and go. It was so safe in that situation. So you, you're super relaxed if you're in stop and go traffic in an autopilot car. So it used to be that like, you know, my driving pleasure was, you know, like stop and go was super, super low and everything else, it was pretty good, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of flipped with autopilot. It's like the most relaxing place ever is stop and go traffic, right? Because yeah. you just don't have to do anything. Yeah. The cars just got it. Definitely. So I think psychology definitely changes when when you can comfortably give up responsibility for having to deal with you know the outside yeah. world and you can yeah. just kind of enjoy yourself or listen to music. and. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see how that manifests yeah, yeah. right, in people's behavior. Because like, I'd like to think that most people will do essentially what I did, which is just become a much more relaxed, friendlier, happier driver. You know, mm-hmm. But that might not be true. Yeah. <laughs> it might be that it's not a boon for everybody the way it was for me. Uh, James has <laughs> just told me that he's uh, ordered a Plaid Model S. So what's going on? I'm curious. Can you tell us um, 
what like what's your order? Is it like when are you getting it? Uh, why did you order it? Well, I say I'm going to get it in August. I, okay. I ordered the Plaid Plus. In fact, I, at Battery Day, I did this thing where I, I didn't actually get to go into Battery Day. I don't remember if you were in there or not. But uh, but we we went up there to hang out with people, and we were sitting in a parking lot nearby watching it. You know, We were sitting in our Tesla, and we were watching it on an iPad or something like that. And when, when, te- when Elon said, and you can order it now. <laughs> like I went to the website, like boom, you know. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, so the plus isn't coming, so I switched it to plaid, and and um, you know, I like my. I always buy my Teslas; they're all red with a white interior, right? So nice. I had to wait until August to get that. So that's the plan. It. Nice. I, I like sports cars. I had sports cars before. I drove before I switched to to. Uh, uh, to driving Tesla, I had a Porsche 911 was like nice. my daily driver and really? you wow. know, it was fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. but the reason I got it is because I'm a engineering geek. Right. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I drove, when I drove the, like I bought that Porsche in like 2000. Right. So I had it a long time, but it was an amazing piece of engineering. And I really liked that about it. It wasn't so much the go fast and whatnot. I mean, it handled great. And there were all those kinds of things, but Stuff that's really well made, I just really, really like, and uh, and that's why I want the plaid, right? You know, the, I, the like, I don't know if, how many, how much people have talked about this, but you know, wrapping the carbon wrapped rotors in an electric motor is an amazing idea, and it's an incredible piece of technology, and it will make me happy knowing. That, that, that there are three of those motors in my garage and that's why i'm getting it because, you know for a long time the the, yeah. the porsche for me it was a garage queen it's just a beautiful car and it was a great piece of engineering and i liked having it you know like i like i like having a nice piece of art on the wall and i could drive it and you know and it was fun and that kind of stuff and the plaid will be, I, we actually we do tons and tons of road trips and so i really wanted to upgrade my s to get something that was quieter and a smoother ride and, and i was looking forward to 500 miles of range like that would have been oh, nice yeah. not not that i think like, unlike a lot of people, I'm not at all upset that I'm not mm-hmm. going to get a 500 mile range car. I'm, yeah. I'm totally fine with 350. My current Tesla was 335 when it was new, and I've never had a problem with it. I've been everywhere in that car, and 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 range is just not an issue for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm super looking forward to it. I think it's going to be fun. It has all kinds of things that, like, I don't need a PS5. Yeah. <laughs> I don't play video games. <laughs> There's a lot of silly things about yeah. it, right? But yeah. But as an engineering, as a piece of engineering, I'm I'm really into that, right? It's it's. Uh, okay, so it, uh, there's you, some guy named Alex said, you know that those uh, the rotors in that motor when they're turning at yeah. speed, mm-hmm. they they the surface is at thirty one thousand gravities of acceleration, right? So like it's enough acceleration. Well, first of all, the rotor would not. The reason they have to wrap carbon around that, right, yeah. is that to 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 keep a motor to keep an electric motor efficient, you need you need to minimize the air gap between the stator and the rotor or the, the two the two moving parts because air has 10,000 times the electric fee, the magnetic field resistance that the metal has right so even a tiny tiny air gap dramatically reduces the efficiency of the motor so you machine those things and you try to get that gap as tight as you can the problem with motors that turn really fast like when you're really getting up there in speed is the rotor starts to expand and in order, to, if you want to have a really high speed motor, you have to start with a much bigger gap. Because otherwise, if the rotor hits a stator, that's really bad, especially if it happens at 20,000 RPM. So, you know, so Tesla's fix was this was 
let's find the strongest material in existence and we'll squeeze that rotor down really, really tight so it can't get bigger. Even under 30,000 gravities of load, right? It won't get bigger. And that's just crazy. <laughs> it's freaking awesome. And I want one. <laughs> so that's why I'm getting the plan. Awesome. Um, okay, so uh, help us unpack some of this stuff here. So <laughs> we have these carbon-wrapped rotors that basically like keep the motor from expanding too much, right? Is that the gist the of it? Rotor, yeah. Okay. So you know the... The motor's the got a, it has then. a stator on the outside that generates yeah. a field and has a rotor on the inside okay. to interact with that, right? Mm -hmm. And the two magnetic fields, I mean, there are different ways to get them interacting magnetic fields, switched reluctance, permanent magnet, and so on. But uh, but you need these two fields to interact with one another, and those are what create generate the torque that the motor uh, generates, uh, right? And mostly the fields get generated inside these very high permittivity uh, materials like iron, Right. And copper is actually copper is not as good as iron, but it's also pretty good. But air is really terrible. It's really terrible. So your magnetic field path, you want as little air in that path as possible. You want it really, really, really small. And so ideally, you know, a really good electric motor is like a precision piece of of engineering that's got, you know, like 10 microns of air gap or 100 microns of air gap. But if your if your rotor is going to spin really fast, you know, you can't maintain small tolerances because the rotor when one, you know, 20,000 RPM, that rotor is going to expand. Like there's no material you can make it out of, no me metallic, you know, material that you can make it out of. But hey, carbon fiber, <laughs> right? It's got yeah. decent permittivity and it's crazy, crazy, crazy strong. Like I, I was actually surprised. I went, like I'd never heard of carbon wrapped rotors. It seemed, it seemed like just kind of a nuts idea when, when I, when I heard about it. And I went, researching it and you know people have been looking at it for a really long time for like train motors and really you know diesel okay. engines and like when you research this stuff do you just type in google like carbon wrapped rotors yeah yeah, yeah. i'll go to google scholar and look and see okay. who wrote a paper on it right huh. interesting um how about like you know they're showing this graph about the whole power curve where you know mm -hmm. previous motors they would like kind of drop off but with their new plaid you know motor just kind of keeps maximum power for, yeah like like continually, like, like, what do you make of that? Like, do, what kind of changes did they do to make that happen? Uh, well, they're battery limited, right? So that's why you get the, you know, so as you, at, when the motor, at low speeds, your torque limited. So there are two parts to that curve. There's this part and there's the flat part, right? right. And so the, this part is where your torque limited. You can only generate so much torque. And so what happens is your power goes up smoothly as the rotational velocity of the motor increases, right? And then you hit the power limit. Well, what's the power limit of the motor? It might be how hot can the motor get? Or it might be, uh, you know, uh, how much, you know, at, at what point do the magnet saturate, you know, and suddenly the efficiency goes way down. I think in Tesla's case, uh, they're just battery limited, right? Like the... Uh, I, I guess some engineer said that the motors put out the equivalent of like 400 horsepower a piece and there's three of them. So normally you would expect the car to have 1200 horsepower, except it's not, it doesn't get the 1200 horsepower because the battery can only supply like about a thousand plus horsepower worth of power. Right. To, so a thousand is what you get is what you get to. So probably it just keeps going up until it hits the limit of what the battery can safely output. And then it's, and then it's flat. And why is it flat? It's flat because the battery is the limiter, not the motor. Like in the other cars, the motor is the limiter. Like, um, you know, on the on the previous P85, the reason you would see that that power curve start to fall off is because the efficiency of the motor would start to fall off as it got faster. 
And Which could, it could be the electronics of the motor okay. controller, or it could be field saturation. It could be various kinds of things, right? But in the case of the of this uh, this uh, the the plaid motor, the motors it's it's just overwhelmingly capable, and the battery's the limiter. So you just go up till you hit the battery limit, and, and then it's flat because the battery limit just stays the same no matter how fast the motor goes. Uh-huh. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> yeah, fascinating stuff. It's like. Um, yeah, it's like I just think about two seconds. I'm like, oh my gosh! Like I don't even, I can't even fathom yeah, that. Yeah, it is. It's just like crazy. Yeah, um, I'm sure it's gonna be. Uh, it, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 Emmett took his car to the to the drag strip, uh-huh. and I'm like, God, would that be fun? Like, I don't even know. Maybe that would be fun <laughs> yeah, to yeah. do. It, I've never taken a car to a racetrack, mm-hmm. so I don't know. Like, I have friends who like got really into racing cars and. You know, they had a little team and they would go to the, you know, they would take their cars out and go racing and that kind of stuff. And then just, in, eh, I don't know, it seems like a lot of time investment. Yeah. You know, I have all these neural networks to analyze. <laughs> all right, James. Um, thanks for sharing us the update on that. Thanks for chatting about this um, idea of just, you know, the overall fleet um, <laughs> yeah. advantages and disadvantages or whatever that, that plays, not just for Tesla, but for other car companies. Um, we'll go ahead and continue um, our marathon chat. Uh, you can check it out in our next episode. It'll be episode number five. We'll be talking about auto labeling. All right. See you guys next.